Welcome to Sounds Familiar, a podcast where we discuss two pieces of media that share themes, plot points, or overarching ideas. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram to keep up to date with our upload schedule, news, and discussions. Take your seat, grab your popcorn, and silence your cell phones now. Please enjoy the show. Welcome to Sounds Familiar. My name's Caleb, and guess who's back, you one-eyed bitch? My name's Stephanie, and where is my goddamn shoe? My name's Justin, and... <laughs> wow! Amazing. I'm shaking in my boots. <laughs> what was that noise? <laughs> See, if you forget to put the clip in, this is gonna be even more... This is oh, gonna be even funnier. <laughs> This week we're talking about Stephanie's favorite genre of film, the kaiju movie. Uh, namely, the... Uh, I can never remember the name of the decade. Stephanie, what do we call it? The, 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 the teens? The 2010s. Oh, the kaiju resurgence of the 2010s, which started with Pacific Rim in 2013 and Godzilla in 2014. Which, Stephanie, you were wondering why you recognized his name... The only other big thing he's directed is Rogue One. Okay, ah. that makes sense. And he has done nothing since Rogue One. So I really? guess that Star Wars money must have been pretty good. I mean, <laughs> it, yeah, I should hope so. Uh, you know, now that I know that, I wasn't aware of that. Uh, it makes a lot, a lot of sense. <laughs> Why do you say that? Uh, just... The bland military aspects of both <laughs> those films. You're going to upset some people, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, I'll upset a bunch of people right now. Rogue One is shit. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I like Correction. it, but it's middle of the road. The, the, I don't that's my emphatic it. reading of it. I don't think shit is the right word. If I were to be accurate or more diplomatic about it, it would be differently. That's I how think I feel. Rogue One is very bland and appear appeals to people who like a different type of movie than I like, people, and that's fine. People who are big, big fans of Rogue One are probably the people who are also big, big fans of the season two of The Mandalorian for the exact same reasons that I haven't watched season two of The Mandalorian. But Caleb, the member okay. berries. <laughs> member Chewbacca? Um... Okay, back on track. Pacific Rim is our third Guillermo del Toro movie in just a matter of weeks, which I'm fine with. Oh, that's um, and I think that's all I've seen from him is these three. So oh. I'm just doubling up. I'm not watching anything new. Yeah. Um, you know. <laughs> um, did, did, I didn't see Pacific Rim in theaters. I don't know if I was aware of it, it I, until it like came out. On home video. No, we watched it a couple years after it came out. Didn't because did we watch it like? Well, maybe it was just right after it came out. I'm not sure. I also probably had a uh, pompous low opinion of kaiju movies before I saw them. You had a low opinion of kaiju movies. I probably did what my mom does when she sees anything kind of weird and go, "That looks stupid." Uh, <laughs> delightful. I need to stop shit talking my mom. Yeah, oh my God. <laughs> and then I slowly, slowly burrowed my way into Caleb's. Brain. <laughs> uh, 
us yeah uh, i i blame myself but mostly a mutual friend of ours again i don't know if she's uh gonna want to be named on the show but we uh one of our friends is super into godzilla um (laughs) or was for a little bit anyway uh she had a godzilla face (laughs) that's all teenage girls do (laughs) yeah every girl has a godzilla face um yeah uh, well okay so kaiju movies i i don't know they they're not they're definitely not my thing they've never really been my thing um, when I enjoy a kaiju movie, which has happened <laughs> before, it is usually in spite of what it is as opposed to because of what it is. <laughs> it's usually more like, well, that sure was a movie about giant monsters and robots punching each other, but it was all right. It was enjoyable. <laughs> As opposed to, oh man, that was a movie about giant robots and monsters punching each other. That shit ruled. Like, I don't know. Um, it's uh, it's it's the kind of thing that I definitely can see why people enjoy it. But whenever I'm watching a scene like that in a movie, including these movies, I'm just like, I everything's happening so slowly. These these movies are very different from the sequels that they've spawned, and I'm gonna I'm definitely gonna talk about that when we get to Godzilla. So why don't we just dive into Pacific Rim? Hmm. Um, yeah, uh, this is my second time uh, seeing it. The first time I saw it was in a hotel. So this is the first time I uh, really got into it, which is surprising because uh, I I'm a big I'm a big, big dork, so of course I like when the robots hit the monsters and the monsters hit the mm. monsters and the humans are all like, whoa, look at that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> of course. Um, and, I mean, I should have known. It's a Guillermo del Toro film. Uh, it, really, really enjoyable. Uh, I didn't watch it in theaters, uh, even though this seems like my type of thing, simply because yeah, the designs of the monsters and the robots are... Uh, in this film don't really grab me and a lot of kaiju and Hmm. mecha is based around aesthetics (laughs) yeah interesting uh i don't know this is my third or fourth time seeing it i don't remember the first time i saw it it was probably like on cable when i happened to be at my parents house one day and i was like now hold on a second that's interesting um (laughs) that's about the short and the long of it yeah, um, this is my second time seeing it. I first saw it with Caleb a few years ago. I think, like, right after it came out. Um, or right after it came out on DVD, I should say. And I thought it was alright. I'll be honest, I wasn't really paying that much attention. Um, certain parts of it I was like, oh, that seems cool. And other parts I was like, mm, yeah, I don't care. Um, so, kind of mixed feelings, but I've always really liked Guillermo del Toro, and I really strongly believe in his mission to like (laughs) inject actual like heart and you know interesting stuff into any kind of story that he tells so uh you know i i i enjoyed rewatching it um i think that i think that the first half is stronger than the second half because there's more interesting stuff going on but once again, that could just be me admitting that I don't really care that much about kaiju battles, <laughs> and the only stuff that I really cared about was everything else. But to be fair, you know, like, 
one of the strengths of Pacific Rim is that you actually do care about the other stuff that's happening. Uh, I, I think so, not to speak for everyone, but um, so I, I definitely enjoyed it a lot more this time around. Um, yeah. All right. I was gathering my thoughts about Pacific Rim. <laughs> I'm not sure where to start, so I'll start with my first thought. That's this usually movie a good idea. Is usually a good idea. This movie is very obviously heavily influenced by anime. Yes. Okay. There are numerous well it is a known fact that Guillermo del Toro is a big fan of Japanese kaiju films. Yes. Um like he is a huge nerd about it. Um and there are numerous shots in this movie that are just so reminiscent of an anime battle like when he like uh the shot after he slices the kaiju in half like 10,000 feet in the air. Um, <laughs> or just, just the, the angle when he's, uh, when, um, they're walking down like the, the street of Hong Kong dragging, uh, a, a container, a cargo ship to use as a weapon okay. literally looked like a scene from like Jojo. Um, it looked like that one Jojo meme, um, wow. which is all I know because yes, uh, um, and that's not to mention the immense crossover that this movie has conceptually with Neon Genesis Evangelion. Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, the neural link required to operate the robot. Um, synchronization of like mind and soul required to effectively operate said robot. Using that drift that connection as a way to explore a person's trauma being about opening up to other people about your trauma this is like so much of evangelion distilled down and then like removed a lot of the what from it you know (laughs) to be a two-hour action movie yeah um because you know end of evangelion this is not right like there's no every human on earth melting down to their souls and then joining together in a primordial sea of human souls like i, I, might I also say, <laughs> fuck yeah <laughs> uh, yeah uh this movie is so uh uh drenched in weeby love that even uh, uh video game auteur hideo kojima called it the ultimate otaku film Oh my god. <laughs> wow, I don't know if that's a compliment or an insult. It can be two things. Uh, apparently, uh, uh, Rian Johnson also uh, really, really dug this movie. I don't have an exact quote, but that's what the wiki's telling me. <laughs> Huzzah, a man of culture. <laughs> and it made I, Tarantino, we knew that. Oh no, uh, Godzilla made Tarantino cry. <laughs> <laughs> Holy I'll, shit! I'll get, I'll get into it when we get there. <laughs> Oh my god! I don't know why that's so funny. (laughs) Wow. Uh. Well. Um. I would definitely say Pacific Rim is my favorite kaiju movie. (laughs) Um. Even though the bar is underground. Yeah. Frankly, I don't. It's like the things that I really like about this movie are the fact that it kind of forces it to have a 
like an emotional through line and a that, meaningful human story. Yes, and that it has mostly interesting characters. Um, it's just I like I'm trying to. The only thing that's bothering me about it, like I was thinking about it, I was like, okay, was I just drunk? Yes. Or was, or were were some of the like storylines like of the individual characters not really wrapped up that that well? Like I I was thinking about it and I was like, I did all the stuff with Mako really come to like an actual conclusion? Yeah. Or like the stuff with the main guy, whatever his I face. I think. That's a good point you make that I hadn't even considered. No, I'm, it's one of those, like, it didn't bother me in the moment, but now that somebody else pointed it out, I'm like, hey, yeah! <laughs> well, yeah, it didn't, it didn't affect my enjoyment of the movie while watching it. I was just thinking about it because I was thinking about how strong a lot of those storylines started out, and then thinking about, like, hmm, I'm not really sure that ended up mattering much, like, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. So, which, I mean, you know... It, to a certain extent, it's not that you need a reason to give a character a tragic backstory or whatever. Like, it's just, it can be part of just, like, the building the character. But uh, with a lot of the stuff they introduce, I found myself kind of thinking, like, well, what was, where, did that go anywhere? Like, did that end up mattering to the, in, in the end, with, like, what ended up happening? Uh, there's a lot of, like, soft resolutions, but yeah. nothing really solid or satisfying. From what I can glean on the, the brief reading I have done uh, from this movie, that was somewhat intentional um, from really? the director. Uh, the uh, This quote here says that uh, films and primary characters all have little arcs in quotes um mm. conducive to the film's main theme and del toro said quote i think it's a great message to give kids uh that guy you were beating the shit out of 10 minutes ago that's the guy you have to work with five minutes later that's life you only be complete when you work together oh <laughs> that's beautiful i love Guillermo del toro <laughs> he what a soft man i love him um yeah yeah that, i mean that's true i i could definitely see that um Oh gosh, I was gonna say something. I Is it about this. Raleigh? I don't. Yeah, I don't get. I don't get Raleigh. I don't. I don't get him. Ra- I don't know what Raleigh. His deal is. Raleigh's voice does not sound real. <laughs> he sounds like he's voicing a, a video game character, and then like, Stephanie the figured first out. First kaiju attack happened last year at approximately like. <laughs> and then Stephanie figured out that he's British. Trying to do an American accent, yeah, which is which always ends up prim- being funny. I'm gonna assume is the primary reason why his delivery sounds weird. Well, it's also I don't think this role was right for him. I just think Guillermo del Toro liked his work, maybe in Sons of Anarchy, because this movie came out right as Sons of Anarchy was wrapping up. Um, so this was mm-hmm. the first attempt to launch Charlie Hunnam uh, into a film star, uh, and Oof. I haven't seen a lot of him recently. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I heard he was almost cast in Fifty Shades of Grey as what's his fuck, which honestly, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I honestly couldn't tell which way she was gonna go with well, okay, that. Okay, okay. My she thought process there was, <laughs> my thought process was, I think he he's slightly more attractive than the guy that ended up playing him, but also, uh, <laughs> as. Mm, mm, 
I mean, I don't know why I even have opinions on this because I haven't read the books. I'm never, ever going to. (laughs) But I'm just like, I guess because it's like an example of like, what does Hollywood think peak hot man is? And with I can't see it with either of them, but maybe that's just me. Um, Both of these movies have a problem of having a super meathead main character, which I'm just never into, (laughs) just frankly, like... with both of them, it's this, like, the good I don't... soldier. Yeah, it's this fucking muscly, uh, fucking military dude who's, like, he's all talking like that, and I'm like, I don't care. It, it, it really... The main characters in both of these movies really feel like uh, they should have been in a film 20, 30 years prior. <laughs> um, yeah. Especially when there's such better characters to focus on in both of these movies right right well that's the thing like there were more interesting characters yeah you're right in both movies the i mean okay like the only thing that keeps me from like actively disliking fucking raleigh (laughs) what a name um mr north carolina or is it south carolina i don't know (laughs) i don't know um the only thing that kept me from actively disliking him was that he like wasn't fuck he wasn't like a weird douchebag with mako which which made me glad because i was like okay this is like the only female character like in the movie (laughs) and like the only one that he interacts with a lot sorry hand just hit the thing um but he was always like generally like pretty cool with her like and i don't know eager to work with her like in a way that was like seemed like he had genuine respect for her and wasn't just like oh my god a hot chick my brain is now in overdrive like um but in every other thing, it was like, yeah, we get it. He's a jock. Like, whatever. <laughs> this is, with the exception of the main character, this is another thing that Guillermo del Toro, you can see him attempting to do as his career progresses, is having a diverse cast. Yeah. Like, with just effortlessly. Like, main character's a white guy. Sure. But then his fighting partner is Asian chick. Her dad is British black guy. We've got two potentially gay scientists. Uh, <laughs> I should <it>. Potentially. <laughs> <laughs> Enemies to lovers. Um, the <laughs> oh, that's another thing I pointed out that I liked was I enjoy the conflict between yeah. the scientists is like, between the scientists there's no character in this movie going talk english doc and then disregarding their advice or yeah um just completely ignoring it the conflict is between the two scientists and their methodologies right which which makes sense for a situation like that you would have different scientific minds like disagreeing on which way to approach the problem um yeah i i did i did like that i liked how I will say this for it, like, a lot of the characters, like, at first glance seem like kind of stock characters for this kind of movie, but they didn't end up feeling quite as much like that. Like, there are all ways in which they ended up being more interesting than that. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, fucking uh, Idris Elba's character with a ridiculous name. Uh, Stacker Pentecost. What a name. I love that. Good good for him. Um, good for his parents, I guess. Um Anyway, yeah, I anyway, I liked how he was a pretty sympathetic character and was more than just the, like, you know, gruff military guy who is, like, keeping the main character down or whatever. Yeah. You know, um, he, he, he was more interesting than that. It certainly helped by his relationship with Mako. Um, and, like, you know, the, <laughs> the fucking Australian fucking douchebags, uh. like... 
Yeah, I know. They're like super stereotypical type characters, but end up being more tolerable by the end. Um, I don't know. I think that that, that, that was nice. I think that it yeah. managed to not be completely, completely cardboard cutouts. Uh, I think we can all agree the bulldog is the best character in the movie. Dude, I was so scared. Uh, the I will was disagree. Gonna die. <laughs> I, I will disagree. I love Charlie Day in this movie. I wanted to. I wanted to steal his look so bad, but unfortunately, my hair doesn't work like that. And I've tried wearing glasses in that style, and they don't sit on my face right because my ears are crooked. In my early twenties, I used to get told I looked like him a lot. Really? Yeah. Um, I mean, eh, but I. I don't really see it. Uh. I love Charlie Day, and you can tell they, like, they reined him in a lot. I don't know how much It's Always Sunny you guys have seen, but they reined him in. The only time he got to go full Charlie Day was with Caleb's opening <laughs> quote. <laughs> 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 no, he was good. His scenes with Ron Perlman were good. Um, like great. Which Ron Perlman was also great. Yeah, he's always great. So <laughs> I know, that was a really random... See, okay, you know what? That's another thing. I really, I really liked that subplot up until I had no idea why it was happening. Like, and and feel free to be like, you idiot, this is why it happened. Because I, I, I could be missing something here. Because I was really enjoying it. Like, all their, like, conversations and seeing his, like, weird little business and everything. But then when it got around to, like, I don't know, the fucking, like kaiju newborn that like dies immediately afterward which i thought was sad but the movie doesn't want you to think is sad i guess like anyway i didn't get the point of all that like okay two thoughts here yes one why was it pregnant when charlie day's character proved that they're cloned okay why would... <laughs> if, I, I, if they are produced by genetic engineering and cloning why was it pregnant that's moving on I don't know if this answers your question. You could just be asking in the larger scheme, why did all that randomness happen? The point was that they were trying to get access to a kaiju secondary brain. And when they were trying to get to the secondary brain in the big one, because they can't, the, the skull plate on the primary brain is too thick um, to get to before the brain rots, apparently. Um, they ran into that. It woke up, caused chaos, and then Charlie, Charlie Day's character... Um, drifted with the small one. Okay, so he. All right, so he did end up drifting with the the baby one. Uh huh. And then what happened as a result of that? They figured out that the plan wasn't going to work and what they needed to do to save the day. Okay, I guess yeah. To me, that was really underwhelming. Like I, the when you introduce an element like drifting with a kaiju. Given that it's Guillermo del Toro, and I know he loves stuff like sympathy for the devil, you know, and like empathizing with the monster and that kind of thing, like, I was not remembering how the movie went. I was really expecting it to be something like, I don't know, he would actually drift with the kaiju and would therefore be able to influence one of the kaiju's actions or something like that. You were expecting an Ender's Game ending. Sure. I don't know how Ender's Game so, enders. In Ender's Game, the so the Earth was attacked twice by an alien species that we could not communicate with. Okay. They left us alone for several decades. And uh, it turns out 
decades ago, we launched a counterattack on their home world mm-hmm. and blew it up. Uh, they left like uh, a queen larva hidden somewhere for Ender to find because he somehow had some sort of connection with them. He finds it, touches it, and it telepathically like experiences what they experienced. And right before the human ships destroyed their home world, the the queen was basically thinking, "Oh, they never. Oh, oh no, they didn't forgive us. Like the aliens weren't going to come back. They they realized that there was a disconnect and they couldn't commute. They couldn't understand each other, and so they were never going to come back and attack Earth again." That's really sad. Yeah, and so then Ender, you know, is tasked with protecting the larva and finding yeah. a new home for it to hatch and let the species live on. Yeah, I like that. I don't, I don't know. I'm the... telling you, you need to read the Ender's books. I guess bo- I do, books. I guess I do. Well, it's just because it's, once again, I, you know, you gotta meet a movie where it's at with the kind of story it's trying to tell. Obviously, if that's not the story it was trying to tell, then fine, but like... But then why introduce that element? That's the only thing that got me about it. I was like, drifting is shown to be such an important, integral, like, like kind of an intimate aspect of this world. And in in actuality, they just use it to spy on the enemy. Right. Like, that is, I feel like is like the least possibly interesting, the least interesting way possible to use that with the kaiju. I mean, like, obviously the humans use it with each other, which, which is good, which like allows us to see, you know, their story and everything like that, but... I don't know, when they introduce that element of drifting with the kaiju, like, especially, like, a newborn kaiju who could be maybe be open influence, like, I was like, this this is about to get so interesting, and then it didn't, like, and they I was really sad mind. about that. I know, but I, I didn't, <laughs> that's not interesting, that's what I I'm know. saying. Like, I know, yeah. I'm I, just saying, within the logic of the universe, it would be impossible to influence. But that's, that's all I'm saying, is yes, don't introduce this really cool concept into this mix here if you're not gonna if you're not gonna use it to the full extent of it. that's all i'm saying oh, that's, that's honestly that's my my biggest problem i i, I didn't it, mind I it because i i feel like they did a good job of setting up the kaiju as like oh no this isn't a misunderstanding they are here specifically to kill us and eat us like that but is... that's not interesting <laughs> like but, i don't the, i don't know but the conflict of the story is about <sighs> humans learning to work together against an un- a seemingly unstoppable force i get that but also once again i once again come down to the fact that like the drifting thing is used within the humans as like such an interesting thing that you can do so much with and that's so important but then to just use it in a completely throwaway way like that with something as integral as your mortal enemy i don't know like it just seems like that uh, I just hate a missed opportunity, man. That's all. I just, I, it makes now, me sad. I, I will say the part that confuses me the most about it is why the giant kaiju was looking for, uh, I can't remember his character's name, Charlie Day, and like didn't just instantly rip him apart or anything, like reached its little feely things out and was just kind of like checking him out. So there was like some level of understanding and that's why they were specifically looking for them. I don't but, know. I don't it's know. not explored. Yeah. I, Beyond, I, I was like, that that moment is interesting because like it's looking for him and then it doesn't immediately just like try and murder him, and then the the Jaegers show up. I know it just um, it frustrates me, but it's it's whatever. It that's honestly like I said my only real problem with the movie. I think it's really good. I just think that like it kind of kind of just shuffles into the standard monster punchies movie role around the halfway to two thirds through point 
and the interesting stuff kind of stops really being present as much. Like, it's still, you know, it's still in the background, but it doesn't really enter into the movie anymore. I don't know. That's me. That's my only real issue with it, because I was like, oh, where'd the interesting stuff go, man? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I think yeah. it, for me, it hits a good balance, because I, if you're going to have a human story, I need it to be compelling, uh, mm-hmm. unlike what we see in Godzilla. Um... And I think this movie did that. And then it gave me plenty of punchies, which that's why I came here with my big bucket of popcorn and paid $20 for a soda. Give me the punchies. <laughs> but the punchies can happen alongside the other interesting stuff. Those two things don't have to cancel each other out. That's all I'm saying. Like, uh, I don't know. Maybe they, maybe they didn't think they had to cancel each other out and they had to choose one or the other. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I don't. I don't, I don't hate the way it ends. It just feels very, like, standard, you know? Um, and it ends very suddenly. It yes. kind of does, yeah. The intention for this movie um, was to spawn kind of a media empire, and it only, like, kind of happened. Yeah, it got a sequel, it got a Netflix series, and a comic book series. Yeah, and I have not seen nor read any of it. Um, I've heard the sequel I, is definitely not as good. Yes, <laughs> I haven't seen it. That's but all I've heard. I've heard. Um, I'm re- every Guillermo del Toro movie that I've seen, they all end very suddenly. Hellboy, That's Shape funny. of Water, and Pacific Rim all kind of end immediately after the villain is vanquished. Like the villain is like, vanquished, well, the heroes the share a tender moment. Roll credits. Yeah. There's never any sort of epilogue. At least yeah. in the Shape of Water, she turns into a fish lady. And- that's a cute. That's scene. true. That's, that's like, but that, that that's also the tender the moment, though. Yeah. Moment, that's the, yeah. I don't know. That's that one felt it. pretty complete, though. Like that movie had wrapped. No, up it did. Yeah. I say, I don't think this one does entirely. Right. No. Yeah. Shape of Water didn't really need an epilogue. I would have liked a little bit of something for Pacific Rim. Yeah, and it's hard to even articulate what exactly. Right, like, I don't need a montage of shots of, like, random people around the world cheering and celebrating. Um, What? Yeah, I don't know. I I can't quite tell what. But see, but I think that part of the reason of that it feeling so sudden is just because of what I was saying earlier, of that, like, a lot of the individual stories feel kind of incomplete. Um, And I think maybe if they felt more complete, it would not feel as sudden. I don't know. Just a theory. A film theory. Uh, uh, <laughs> we gotta put the whole podcast in the trash. No. No. Not because of me. It's not because of you, it's because of Matt. Oh my god. Um, I, I don't know. That's that's all I got really. I think that it, yeah, I think that it just feels sudden because a lot of stuff was kind of just not really return to in order to return to the kaiju stuff but i don't know that's that could just be be me because i'm biased but um now as far as monster punchy goes (laughs) yeah it's pretty good monster punchies um (laughs) the action is clear with the exception of a few shots here and there you understand what's going on yeah um the scenes are they're fairly well lit even at night um just the way the action is laid out is 
it's easy to understand um which is necessary right like i can't say the same for the first transformers movie um yeah yeah uh so that since we're into the punchy and the robots and everything i have seen what del toro is able to accomplish as far as creature design goes man a lot of this is super flat for me there isn't a lot of creature design though like generic video game villains yeah they all have the same color palette um their the their designs can be difficult to distinguish because i like the crab you see yeah (laughs) yeah he's probably the most easily distinguished one other than maybe knife head um Uh, and, and I, I will the, agree with you on that point. The the Jaegers just eh, the big big Bay Transformer vibes, but less colorful. Right, it's the interesting ones, the ones that have a gimmick get taken out in like their first two minutes of action. Yeah. Right, the only one that survives is the one that just does punchies and then remembers three quarters of the way through the movie. We have a sword. We have a sword, I, and at the end of the movie, we have a unibeam. <laughs> yeah. Although to be fair, they did use that earlier. They used it to slow their fall. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. They didn't use it as like, a weapon. If you have a big iron. Um, man laser in your chest use it <laughs> um really showing us what a man with a cannon in his chest can do. <laughs> <laughs> oh speaking of futurama i have something about the climax of this movie <laughs> please uh, but, but i want to I talk about i want to talk about specifically the three armed jaeger first i really okay. wish they would have spent more time with those triplets yeah because d- that's such a cool dynamic and a cool gimmick, and we see them play basketball and then they die. <laughs> yep. I know. I know. See? <laughs> see? It's missed opportunities, man. Um, God, and I, I wish I guess that's that's the price you pay when you're trying to like jumpstart a franchise with with one two hour movie and then it doesn't go anywhere. All of your plans to like, ooh, we'll release a comic to explain these triplets later. Yeah. Doesn't happen. Yeah. Uh, the emotional climax of this movie, at least for our two main characters, when her oxygen is, like, going low and he saves her, blah, blah, blah. Oh. I, that is one for one a scene in Futurama. Really? <laughs> Which, in all fairness, there is a very good chance that that scene in Futurama is a one for one reference to something even something older else? that yeah. neither of us have seen. Yeah. That's all I could think of is- and I expected him to cough up a candy heart that says you should take my breath away. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> right, okay, okay, I remember that episode now. We watched that not that long ago. Um, anyway. That was the one with Sigourney Weaver. Yes. <laughs> no, okay, yeah, the thing with that was that, like, yeah, that's the emotional climax, but, like, once again, this could be me not understanding what was going on, which, in, my, in that case, you know, might be. Um, but, uh, like... It, it di- I didn't understand the stakes because I was like, well, of course, like, she's his partner. Of course he's going to try to save her, like, if something goes wrong. So I, it wasn't clear to me if he was making some kind of big sacrifice or something, if he was making up for something that happened before. Like, that could be the case. I It just, it wasn't clear to me exactly what, what the, what the stakes were, like yeah. I said. I, I, I don't know. Like, I does anyone? My, my no price for it, this isn't in the text 
Uh, but it seems like her oxygen had ran out a while ago, and that's why she was so out of breath while he was still doing relatively all right until he her oxygen system had taken some sort of damage and okay. wasn't functioning. Okay. Um. So he was and... giving her his oxygen and ejecting her, even though he still had like a lot of stuff to do in there. So it was like a risking my life light. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, that was what I. I guess that was what I wasn't completely sure if I was like. It, is this like just him doing like following protocol like if your partner is in trouble to like save them or is it like actually like i could die specifically because of this well he can die specifically because of that in numerous ways because <laughs> there are a lot of ways for him to die. right so it's you're not supposed to pilot a jaeger just one person only right, he right. and stacker have done it so you've okay, got yes. that on I top of the fact that, that he is now operating off of whatever oxygen just may still be in the cockpit. Um, yes. So he's losing a sh someone sharing the neuro load with him in addition to also losing a guaranteed O2 line. Right. Okay. So so it, it, so it was a sacrifice, like yes. at the very least. Okay. Yeah, because I, once again, I, I know a lot of this is probably said in dialogue that I could easily miss, but I was... I was not exactly sure what was going on there. Um, but I, I think that, that clears it up a little bit more. But then he was just... He was able to eject back up to the surface, too, after he... Mm -hmm. okay, yeah. I got it. I got it. <laughs> so, I, I really need to watch this movie one more time with spe paying specific attention to like the technical dialogue and everything you need someone explaining the jargon a little bit probably <laughs> because well because i feel like a lot of this stuff kind of hinges on some like small jargony no, details both of these movies rely on jargon and they don't explain them uh, um both like both of these movies use the term emp and feature monsters with the ability to use an emp and not really explaining you have right. to figure if you don't already know you have to guess through context like i guess it makes computers no worky like <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i really someone let me make a kaiju movie where all of the jargon is like captain the punchy system is down ah <laughs> divert all power to punchies <laughs> for the layperson among us no Thank we you. can't we can't do punchies all power to kickies! <laughs> First, his his kicks were only as strong as his kicks. Uh, then they were as strong as his punches. Um, uh, I know I got that backwards. Yeah. Um, alternatively, replace all of the jargon with nonsense. <laughs> like, words that don't actually mean anything, so there aren't any nerds in the audience going, um... Actually, That's not how that works. Um, which I did like. You did. I, I did <laughs> yeah. that multiple times watching Godzilla. Yes, he did. God. Um, I'm gonna try and remember some of them. Um, <laughs> All right, are we? I'm good on Pacific okay. Rim. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure we'll probably think of more after the break, but. Um, okay, yes, so Pacific Rim, good movie. I, I, I know I sounded like I bitched about it a lot, but I actually do really like it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it, I would like to see a movie with tiny kaiju, maybe, that's like kaiju that are like 
the size of little action figures and humans just kind of stand around and watch them like pathetically battle each other. That could be fun. I was about to say you want Jurassic Park. <laughs> Smaller kaiju equal Jurassic Park. I mean, I, I, the T-Rex is basically a kaiju. I mean. In and a Gallimimus is a. They are. In the Pacific Rim universe. The that's true. Nice. And see, in Jurassic World, they really tried to have a kaiju battle. They really wanted that for themselves. Because of the T-Rex and the Indominus yeah. Rex. Yep. So that there's your there's your fucking kaiju, my man. There, there you go. Fucking knock yourself out. Anyway, alright, so we'll be back after the break to not talk about Jurassic World, even though I end up coming back to that movie a lot because it haunts me and torments me. <laughs> okay, no, we'll be back after the break to talk about Godzilla. Hey everyone! Thanks for checking out our show. Give us a follow on Twitter at SoundsFamiliar and let us know any film pairings you would like us to cover. Did you also know that we have a sister show that covers cryptids, UFOs, and anything else strange and spooky? If that sounds like your thing, be sure to listen to I Hope You Exist on your favorite podcast service. We love you. Now back to the show. We are back from the break to discuss Gareth Edwards' Godzilla, parentheses, 2014. <laughs> right, because it doesn't have the same title as... Or does it have it the has the title? same... The one from the 90s is just called Godzilla, right, Justin? Yes. Yep. When oh. was that? What 90 was that? Yeah, I think 99. <laughs> okay, I thought so too. Okay. So 99 movies weren't all winners. <laughs> just kidding i don't know i mean it might be a good movie i don't i don't really know 98 but... okay okay well i got no opinions about 98 so. <laughs> uh, speaking as a 98 yourself i'm surprised you don't wait that's out of 100 i thought you were talking about someone who was born in 98 and i was like Caleb, i was trying to i'm not 22 <laughs> I was trying to compliment you. Oh, sweetie. If you're going to compliment me, it better be 198. Hey, like Meatloaf almost said, 98 out of 100 ain't bad. Oh my god. Anyway. <laughs> Godzilla is... I have some thoughts on this movie. I would not give it 98 out of 100. I would give it like... It was okay. I enjoyed it more than I yeah. expected to on this rewatch. Yes. Me too. Me too. This is the third time I've seen it. The first two were in theaters, so I have not seen it since 2014. Yeah, uh, me neither. I think, now this is the second time I've seen it. I saw it once in theaters, I think, with Caleb. Um, I was thoroughly unimpressed at the time. Um, this time I, uh, you know, I, I didn't hate it. Yeah, uh, it was it was all right. It was a movie. This uh, this is my second time seeing it too, and um, yeah, it's all right. <laughs> yep. It held my interest. Yeah. Um, despite the main character issues. Um, mm -hmm. so this movie billed Brian Cranston pretty pretty heavily, and they killed him like um, in the first. And then he quarter. dies in like the first, first act. third, maybe. Um, yeah. And then his boring ass son takes over. Uh, this is yeah, just standard, normal, 
military white dude you have um, with no interesting traits. Brian Cranston is bringing a whole movie's worth of acting in that first thirty he minutes. Really though. is he, yes. He and I know every time like he the emotion is so like intense on his face and he's like really giving it his all in every line that he has. Whereas Aaron Taylor, Aaron Taylor Johnson, Johnson has the same face the entire movie. <laughs> he has a bad case of same face. Wouldn't you um, know an actor emotes more in his Marvel movies than he does yeah. in his other movies? Yeah. You know there's a problem. Right! Like, he he's cute as Quicksilver. I honestly wish there had been more of him and he hadn't gotten killed inside one movie. Like, um... And I don't, I've seen him in a couple of other things. He's an actor that I can never fully decide how good I think they are. Because I think for him, it really depends on the role. Yeah. Like, um, I, uh, okay, what other movies have I seen him in? Um, Anna Karenina, I was not super impressed by him in that. Because, I don't know, Anna Karenina is like... It's a period piece starring Kira Knightley. It's very much like a <laughs> you. You best choose your male I know, carefully to yes, play opposite exactly. Kira Knightley. That's what I'm in saying. A, in a period like, piece, all right. I know. It, I know. It, it opposite her. I was like, this is not working. Like, because because obviously it, Kira Knightley in a period piece is always going to be bringing it like a hundred and ten percent, and he's just kind of over there like. They put me in this very starchy collar. I don't know what to do. Like, <laughs> And it doesn't help that the third member of the, the main cast is Jude Law, who is very good in that kind of thing. And so him and Keira Knightley are really, like, getting into it. And Aaron Taylor Johnson is just like, I'm also here being handsome. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but then I, you know, I, I also saw him in Nocturnal Animals, a movie I did not like um, and have a lot of problems with. But... He was actually really good in that and was playing like a super evil dude. Like, but he was really good at it, weirdly. And, um, I don't know, like to the point where I almost didn't recognize him because he wasn't quite as beefy looking and he was playing a very different type of character. And I was like, oh shit, that's Aaron Taylor Johnson. <laughs> anyway, yeah, um, <laughs> outside of this and the Marvel stuff, I've literally only seen the kick ass movies and Savages are the only movies I've seen from him in. Oh, he's in... I haven't seen Savages. I also haven't seen the Kick-Ass movies, but I totally forgot he was, like, the main dude in those, wasn't he? Is he is Kick-Ass. Well, <laughs> how, how Kick-Ass is his acting, is he, I assumed it was the other Quicksilver. No. Hmm. Huh. no he's, he's also he's in, in the it. Movie. He's also in them. No, I know that. I know that, the, like, the two main characters from Kick-Ass went on to be the different Quicksilvers. Oh, I yeah. just assumed it was the other one who was kick-ass nope. based on like my knowledge of the mm. comics nope. and the character mm. um it's him apparently um yeah he is in his defense he is not given much to work with in this no. in this role very precious little yeah. like brian cranston has so much more to work with than he does yeah he sh the, the sun thing should have been scrapped or just don't do the brian cranston storyline and focus more right. on like him and his wife and make us care because I don't. Well, that's what <laughs> I was thinking. Like, I, I don't know why the Bran Cranston storyline is even there. Like, well, I do because it's like the most interesting part of the movie, but it doesn't like actually matter that. It's much? a way to set up the Muto and not just have it be suddenly a monster appeared. 
Yeah. Uh, you know? Yeah, it, for sure. Which I... we can do in later movies. But this first one has to do a whole lot of setup. Uh, so the yeah. scene that made uh, Tarantino cry is the the death of the mom scene when they're like dude that scene's fucking sad that is honestly the the most emotional part of the movie and it they just get it right out of the way right at the beginning yeah which is not great (laughs) like in that one you're actually like oh shit this is really like this is really intense like and especially when it keeps cutting to him like looking down the hallway and you could just feel him wanting her to appear like and it it just doesn't happen until it's too late and like that shit's pretty intense (laughs) You did not feel that at all for the rest of the movie. <laughs> uh, if if it wasn't going to be Brian Cranston, the main characters of this movie should have just been uh, Sally Hawkins and Ken Watanabe. Ken Watanabe, yeah, absolutely. exhausted and over the military's Dude, bullshit. I, I because, love them in this movie. They're, those they're really two great. practically disappear after, after the Hawaii scenes. I know. They're just like he has like one or two more lines after that. To the point that when uh, everything goes down in Vegas and like everything's kind of calm and Godzilla's like in the rubble, when they emerge from the rubble in Vegas, I'm like, how the fuck did you get there? We, we were like, we were <laughs> right, both like, exactly. what? Oh god, right, they're alive. Like, <laughs> dude, I love Ken Watanabe in this because he is like hamming it up so hard <laughs> while doing so little. It's so he just constantly is so intense and He's like, like I'm gonna give this. It's, everything i got i'm gonna no. show these white guys how to exactly. act you want some acting <laughs> no he's fucking bringing it i love it like, i love you want it. your token Asian japanese man in a godzilla movie yeah. i'll be your goddamn token <laughs> japanese man in a godzilla movie right right exactly he's just constant he constantly has the energy of like slowly takes off sunglasses <laughs> like, even if he never actually does that I no, he he's great and I, I really like Sally Hawkins too, even though she's given very little to yeah. do other no, than look worried. What's funny is there's a character in Godzilla vs. Kong that um when I saw it, I pulled out IMDB, I pulled out my phone like in the back row of the theater, I was like, Is that Sally Hawkins? <laughs> it's not. It wasn't uh. even and yet she still was in a Godzilla movie. I know, it um Yeah, that's the thing, like I think they really tried with the human side of the story with this one. It's just that they they killed off their most interesting character, Brian Cranston, and um, and and then had it just be like, oh well, my my dad lost my mom, so I don't want to lose my wife. Which like that's fair. I wouldn't want to lose my wife either, man. But like, I don't know. You don't really get that much like also, to go on. Out of the two, uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson and Elizabeth Olsen's characters, which uh, while we're talking about how good some of the acting is, Elizabeth Olsen, given nothing, no, she's to always work bringing with, it. But my God, she is mm-hmm. the best at being stressed out or sad yeah. or exhausted. <laughs> you believe her. <laughs> They they were like Elizabeth Olsen. Do you want to play this absolutely nothing role where you're just like the nice wife character of some military dude? And she was like, you know what? I'm still gonna fucking bring it. I don't care. Uh, her, I'll show my sisters. Yeah, I'll show them all. Her like being a nurse during a kaiju fight is a million times more interesting than white military man does military things. I honestly wish we would have seen more from her perspective and the movie kind of teases you with it because it shows her a little bit but it's it's really just to get the perspective of one of the civilians 
And it would have been cool to see her actually, like, yeah, because she's a nurse and, like, see her actually having to, like, save some people in the midst of this absolute craziness. Like, uh, that could have been really interesting, but... Or at the very least, like, give a scene where she's the one who saves her husband or something. Give us something. (laughs) Yeah, she, no, she's literally just there to be a civilian that we actually can identify from an earlier part of the story. I know, it's... Right, it's like the movie wants to have the the human story, but doesn't really know what to do with it. I guess, like, right? It's it's there, but it's not it's not fulfilled. Um, he all of the writing was just put into Brian Cranston's part, and then the and rest then of it was him, like, man. yeah. I, I, um, just have him stick around, and if he has to die, let it be like a noble sacrifice right at the end I or mean, something. Right? No, he just dies. I've also huh. been 30 pages into a screenplay and been like, man, writing's hard. <laughs> <laughs> Justin, but did, were you having millions of dollars pumped into your movie when oh you made that God. realization? Not when uh. I woke up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All that being said, <laughs> I think this movie does have some positive elements, some things going for it. Yeah. Um... One, this movie really makes you wait before it gives you a fucking kaiju fight. It's a real cocktail. We do Stop not get a serious. I know. I know. <laughs> Don't you do it? Don't. I know. You... <laughs> That's a lot. You do not get any actual serious monster punchies until the like the final act of the movie um the uh, the rest of the movie it's just like tease like you get to see them start fighting and then bam like cut you might see a little bit like on a tv monitor or Mm -hmm. yep (laughs) so they really are dragging it out with this one they're really like pulling stringing you along that being said there are some damn good punchies (laughs) okay hold i'm gonna i'm gonna circle back around to something negative then that you bring up the punchies at the end. Okay. <laughs> My biggest problem with this movie, a considerable portion of it, probably close to half the movie, is so dark yeah. that you have to be sitting in a movie theater to understand, to, to see what is happening. Yeah, it's really... I could not yeah. see what was happening in most of the final fights. Yeah. No, I agree. I had no idea. They're they're really good at giving you, like, very iconic moments in the fight, but as a whole, a solid percentage, a solid percentage is hard to follow. It's just, it's just black. Mm-hmm. I, th- there are some really cool shots in this film. Um, uh, the, the way that they play with the, the, the smoke and the dust hanging around, um, c- does create for some really cool shots. But ultimately, they they stick to it so closely that it doesn't allow for any visual clarity. Um, Like the scene at the very end when, um, what's his name, is riding the boat out into the harbor and like the monster is there looking at him. And then next, like all I can make out is its eyes. And then like I hear a crunch and I was like, what just happened? And then there's a bunch of like vague movement and then Godzilla's atomic breathing it right down its throat. I was like, oh. Godzilla's here now. Uh, yeah. They were fighting. I wish I could have seen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. In that one, you do. 
I think it's pretty clear when you see Godzilla get it by the neck and, like, lift it up and everything. I couldn't see that, though. I literally, like, we had barely any lights on in the house. I don't know. Maybe it's our TV. All I know is that uh, my eyes were starting to hurt from the strain of trying to, like, make out what was happening. The thing that this movie seems to be going for, which I actually kind of like as a thing that a movie can go for, (laughs) uh, is... Sort of this idea of these, like, otherworldly titans of nature and, like, things that we can't fully understand. It's, like, almost Lovecraftian in a way. Like, Mm -hmm. this thing that rises from the sea is almost godlike, has no morality that we can, can understand, might defend us, might destroy us. We don't know. Like, um... That, I think, seems to be something that the movie is very much going for, which which I find kind of cool. Like, I kind of like that. Um, right. Which, to circle back around to positive points. Yeah. Is, is <laughs> yeah. I, I, I liked the pseudo-horror that this movie is going right, for. Right. This one is definitely mu- leans into that much more than any other kaiju movie we've gotten in the last decade. This one very much is like, these things are massive. They are terrifying. They will destroy. They will kill, and you can't stop them. Yeah. And like, they're they can somehow just disappear. Like we sometimes we just can't even track them, right. you know. And then they'll just show up, right? And there's yeah. nothing you can do. I think that is kind of one of the elements I do like about it. Is and it, I mean, and it does kind of play into the whole like very much teasing out the 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 appearance of the monsters like but i find that kind of cool i guess because it's like because of the sheer scale of them for one thing like you might just see like the tail or you know you might see the tip of their scales or something like that i, I don't know it it feels very much like <laughs> I don't know, catching a glimpse of the old gods walking the earth briefly before descending under the sea again, they, which is is cool. They do it like three times where Godzilla almost hits the yeah. boat or the ship and then uh, goes underwater and it's never not cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, right. And, and I actually do like, I like that framing. I feel like I like that the movie doesn't like blow its load too early. Um, where it's just kind of like, you don't need a full shot right away because you already, you already know who it is. Like, it's fucking Godzilla. Like, um, and I think it uses that to, to a good extent. Like, you know how in a movie when there's a recurring character, like a character that is already known and beloved or, or hated or whatever, and they'll kind of like tease out that character's appearance because you already know who it is. Like, you don't need the full reveal. It's about the mystique, right? And I think this movie leans into that in a, in a good way. Like, and I feel that it's thematically appropriate because of like... <laughs> Like Ken Watanabe says when he's fucking bringing it as always, and he's just like, you know, talking about like, oh, it's it's just they're just nature, and like we can't control them. Like we are under their control. Like we have to let them fight. Like essentially, like we have to let them settle it amongst themselves because there's nothing that our puny human interference can do. Um, which I find really cool. Um, I specifically liked that part when they're uh the parachuting scene is really cool yeah. um 
the just very very cool cinematography on that and honestly now that i think back on it i can see some some rogue one in that um i, I think some of the i don't know military style sequences are actually shot in a fairly interesting way um more so than they could be and uh when when he's kind of parachuting down and you just see like these brief flashes of like just the sheer size of the creatures as he's like falling yeah. um I, I don't know, just very cool. <laughs> I I really liked those. I guess because, see, of course, I would get more interested when things get more into horror territory. Like, um, because then it feels less like watching two big monsters just do punchies at each other, and more like being a human and just being like completely awestruck and and horrified by the concept of things so much like beyond yourself and beyond your capacity to understand so yeah very lovecraftian in that way and very cool no. so I, I would say that is one of the things i actually do really like about this movie yeah and the restraint like as as frustrating as it can be sometimes um and that's mainly because the rest of the movie is a little boring um <laughs> uh the restraint is done well it, it kind of like, alien vibes the first alien movie yeah they, it's a while before you see the whole xenomorph like which is good. That's good for the horror. Yes. Because, you know, in horror, you you want to be super careful about showing the monster, like, showing the whole monster in broad daylight or whatever. Because it, that's kind of how our brains work as humans. Like, the moment we can fully see something and understand the scope and scale of it and understand how it moves and how it operates... Just by the mere fact of our understanding, we, we feel less afraid. And I think this movie kind of under understands that. And um, that, like, as long as there is some kind of mystery and some kind of unknowability about something, it's just going to be scary to us. Yeah. I, I think my, my, my joke of I'm here to see kaiju movies uh, only for the punchies is because uh, this is a movie about giant monsters fighting each other that is like that that's what it is or yes. or in pacific rim it's robots fighting monsters at no yeah. point in this film should i be bored when it's what it is built around well <laughs> let's talk about this movie versus its sequels oh see i haven't seen because them because totally so yeah then this will just be a caleb and justin segment yeah, I although seen, i'm the only one who's seen all three yeah this still applies to just God's, this versus Godzilla King of Monsters. This movie is dramatically, tonally different from its sequels. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> this movie, the first, its entire concept is it's essentially our world. This is It's the real world. And then suddenly this Lovecraftian horror arises from the deep to lay waste. Right? It's, it's an apocalyptic story. Like the world is ending, we we cannot stop this. It's very much a disaster. It's movie. a disaster movie. And it does lean into that. I think. And it's its sequels are very much they're much more bright and colorful and just this is the world we live in. There's giant <laughs> monsters. There's magical mods that fight space dragons. Fucking Mothra, dude. <laughs> Fucking um, Mothra, dude. <laughs> This. You know, I've never seen a movie with Mothra in it, but I've seen like lots of pictures and fan art, and I'm like, 
a giant moth i'm already interested (laughs) that's cool as hell a fighting moth anyway (laughs) yes so this movie does a lot of setup establishes firmly this is our world and then something horrible happens and then from the second movie onward that world is very much not ours like they might pretend it is but in there i can't say that justin hasn't seen the third movie (sighs) (laughs) okay he doesn't I will know who move wins, on. Godzilla or King Kong. That has that's actually not the spoiler. The spoiler I'm thinking of is incredibly innocuous. Uh, um <laughs> So I haven't watched it yet, but uh I we're recording this a little early. This episode drops in June. Uh <laughs> but I am am currently suffering light side effects from my second vaccine dose, high fives. Uh and my comfort movie, when we're done recording, I'm going to crawl into bed. I'm going to watch Godzilla vs. Kong before it's Please do. I need you to, yeah. to live message me your reactions. Um, <laughs> Just a live tweeting Godzilla vs. Kong. I'd read that thread for sure. Okay. Now that I've made that point with nothing further to elaborate on other than, wow, isn't this movie different from his sequels? Mm. Um, I was constantly... Not constantly. Frequently bitching throughout this movie. Okay. Okay. They they retrofit the nuclear bomb to have an analog um, fuse, yeah. right? So that the monster's EMP won't be able to affect it, right? And they're putting it on a boat, sending it 20 miles offshore, and then they're going to blow it up out there. But the boat they put it on is not analog? <laughs> they... <laughs> They specifically <laughs> changed the nuke to work even after an EMP, but did not think to put it on a boat that could withstand an EMP. What? Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> it, the stupidity there. I... The there. I got nothing. I don't know how that works, sir. My guy out there pushing the boat with a stick <laughs> yeah he literally did he literally pushed it with a fucking stick i mean that's the purpose of that that, that particular stick also to ke- grab the rope when it's oh, far away yeah um, hey i know about boats all right <laughs> i have my boater's license and my diver's license do you have a boater's um, license yes you gotta take me out uh, of the boat no <laughs> yes yeah. um there was one thing though, when Brian Cranston is in that room with like the digital keypad and the power goes out and like the door unlocks and opens, that is how a a door should work. That type of door should work. Uh, secure doors like that are designed to fail open as a safety precaution. Yeah, so that the electronics <laughs> don't go out and you're trapped in there like for days. Right. Like, it's, yeah. There were other things I bitched about, but I've forgotten them. I just realized how upset I am that. Ken Watanabe and Brian Cranston don't get a chance to even speak to each other. No. Nope. Oh my god, you're right. That, that would have been, been a so great good. scene. <laughs> so good. God, yeah, because they were both, like, fucking bringing it in this movie. And, like, they both just, like, just being as dramatic as they could, like, in in a good way. Like, in a way that didn't feel, like, over the top, but that was like, damn, these guys are really giving it their all. Like... I would have loved to see them have a conversation. But alas, once again, uh, this movie really shoots itself in the foot by killing off Brian Cranston's character. 
Like, they should have just had him be the main character. Brian Cranston showed up on set was like, ah, I'll give you guys a week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I don't know, but it could have been like a cool father-son adventure or something. And they it had have. to like, you know. It could have. Reconcile their differences to save the world. I, I, yep, that could have been done cool. That. I would have been really down for that, but <laughs> whatever. We had to kill off a man. So, anyway, um, I, you know, I've, I've been really harsh on this movie in the past. Um, I think this is the first time I saw it. I found it kind of boring, but I, you know, I, I think it's, it's not that bad as, as, um, these type of movies go. Now I haven't seen actually Godzilla King of Monsters and Godzilla vs. King Kong. So I don't can't watch either of them. <laughs> you don't think I should watch them? I don't think you should. No. Um, okay. I don't like Godzilla King of Monsters because it has, uses the stupid eco-terrorist as bad guy plot point, which <laughs> I despise. When are they going to um, get tired of that one? Yeah. Uh, this one? The human story is a little boring, but at least there's some meat there. King of Monsters, I literally don't care, but the monster fights are super kick-ass in that one. <laughs> yeah, and then well, uh, Godzilla yeah. versus King Kong is a happy medium between the two. Okay. Um, it's much more in the style of King of Monsters, but like the human story isn't annoying and isn't doesn't like overstay its welcome. I'm See, I'm interested. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I had a fantastic time. Like, I'm not going to say it's a cinematic masterpiece, but it is very fun. I would say you should expect to be a little bit more than whelmed. Well, like... I had a good time. What I'm interested in, in the concept of, like, putting Godzilla and King Kong in the same movie, which I'm going to go ahead and, like, take a guess here and feel free to tell me whether I'm right or not, that they don't explore this at all. But... Godzilla and King Kong represent different things or have represented different things in, in, you know, in their inception in, in, in pop culture, like Godzilla has kind of represented sort of the words, uh, the nuclear threat, yes. the, the, the fallout the fear of, of nuclear destruction, <laughs> right? After what happened, uh, sorry, what, what was done to, uh, Japan in, at the end of world war two, um, and kind of the repercussions of that and that sort of existential terror of, you know, the threat of, like, <laughs> wide-scale annihilation. Um, whereas, like, King Kong is kind of represented something very different. It's a fear of so, the other. Right, a fear of the other of, like, you know, and sort of an attempt to, like, understand the other, the monstrous, like... How something could be monstrous and yet have feeling at the same time. Like, very different types of of stories. Yeah. Like, King Kong, very much like a Guillermo del Toro type of story. Uh, and Godzilla, very much like a, I don't know, much more, mm, I don't know, existential kind of threat story. I don't, what, let, let. I don't know if I'm describing this correctly, but those are two very different sorts of metaphors, and I'm interested to know if that is explored at all in them coming together. Like, <laughs> you are expecting entirely the wrong things out of a movie titled Godzilla vs. King Kong. Okay. <laughs> well, okay, the, it's just, I don't know. I mean, King Kong, I think, is, first of all, humanized a lot more 
than Godzilla is because, you know, the whole, like, it was beauty that killed the beast thing. Like, oh, no, it was like what killed him was the fact that he, you know, had some kind of strange animalistic love, like, for a a human being. Like, whereas with Godzilla, it's very much just, like, this monster represents everything that we are very scared of. (laughs) Yeah, uh, Kong has always felt like obviously larger than life ha 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 uh but narratively feels like this is just something else from our world like it's something we can wrap our head around big monkey godzilla right, <laughs> uh, uh, right. king kong has like, never felt lovecraftian the way that godzilla has yeah an unknowable god that you just hope is on your side today <laughs> right Right, and I just wondered if any of that was maybe explored a little bit. Does King Kong have a little human that he like that sits in the palm of his hand and like reminds him to be good or something? Oh, oh, <laughs> oh! I mean, Justin's seen the trailers. There are things I'm expecting. <laughs> you expect that from King Kong? That's always Anyhow, a we thing. We need to stop talking about the movie that yeah, neither that, of you have seen that yeah. Justin is about to watch. <laughs> Okay, we can just wrap this up, call it an episode. <laughs> uh, so I'm final, up. I'm shutting up. Final thoughts on Godzilla parentheses twenty fourteen. It's all right if it's yeah. your kind of movie. Watch it. It also works pretty well as a disaster movie if you're into that kind of thing. I'm not usually, but yeah uh, this one's pretty good yeah they they tend to stress me out a whole lot but yeah. uh yeah I, yeah yeah i think it's all right um it's yeah it's not groundbreaking but um it's it's an entertaining watch if you yeah if you like monster movies and disaster movies that kind of thing on the summer blockbuster scale uh, which is completely different than a normal film scale uh yes godzilla about a seven pacific rim about an eight yeah. Yeah, on the summer blockbuster scale, I, I agree that <laughs> <laughs> on movie scales, that's a whole different conversation. Very different. Yeah. No, I I I completely know what you're saying. Like, you just like you've been hanging out, like whatever. You want to go to a movie, grab some popcorn, yeah. like with just chilling the in the stews with my dudes. Exactly. Like maybe have a drink. It, it's pretty fun. Yeah. No, I I completely get that. Um. I, I think that while these these movies didn't convince me to like kaiju movies, they convinced me to like individual elements of kaiju movies. <laughs> like, for instance, the vast and unknowable terror that rises from the deep. So, I like that kind so, of thing. <laughs> so we need to watch Shin Godzilla. Yes, I actually do want to see that one because I've heard it's, it's actually pretty good, um, but also pretty depressing because it's like very much about like the real effects or like the quote-unquote real effects that that kind of thing would have it's it's one of the few times since the original that uh, godzilla is like a representation of horrible horrible destruction and not a reluctant slash sometimes protector <laughs> yeah godzilla, what a weird member what of a the weird Avengers. heel turn for godzilla i know well, he's like <laughs> i was just trying to sleep and then these people woke me up and now they want me to be like a superhero what <laughs> i don't know that's kind of cool though right i don't know just the very idea that like like 
the the amorality of Godzilla as something that's like could destroy us, but could also yeah. save us under the right circumstances is so fascinating to me. Speaking of lost opportunities in this movie, when Godzilla's <laughs> like laying down after getting his ass kicked, and uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson's there, and they look at each other, I'm like. He's totally gonna walk over there and like touch his snout, and it's gonna Dude. be like a connection between. I would have loved Godzilla that. and humanity, but nope, they're just kind of like, "Sup, dude? I'm taking Sup, that bro. now." <laughs> nope. Yeah. Also, Godzilla, objectively speaking, got his ass kicked way less than he does in the sequels, and he just walks that shit off. He really does. He just looks kind of tired. He's he just like, woke bro, up from a really, um, really long nap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a sleepy boy. Yeah, yeah. Gotta go I'm gonna sleep nap on this city. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all wake me up if you need anything. No, I I did like that moment where they kind of looked at each other, but I think it would have hit a lot harder if it was Brian Cranston. Once again, I'm like Brian Cranston should have been the main character, but I feel like he would have really sold that like understanding or something a lot more like. I see this terrible beast that has wreaked such destruction, and yet I recognize what it has done for humanity, and I I now understand the things that have happened to me, and I'm at peace with it, and can move on with my life, or something like that. Like I feel like that could that could have been a really cool moment. I mean, it still was a cool moment. It just it could have been a Brian Cranston moment. Yeah. Uh, also, also, if I if I was gonna knock uh, Pacific Rim for monster designs, uh, the Muto. Muto's boring as hell. Don't like them. <laughs> mm. They look no, like, yeah, they could have been better. They look like the iPhone of monsters. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, except without all the different versions coming out. Um, I don't know. One can fly. One's real. That's bird. true. Like, <laughs> you're right. You're right. No, I. Yeah, this could have been a lot better, especially with Guillermo del Toro's penchant for creature design. But yeah, yeah. I guess the focus wasn't really on them. I guess like what you said before, it was really about humanity coming together to face a threat. Which <laughs> I love how that was a common theme in both these movies. Like, what a delightful little fantasy that is. Um, that, like, all the countries of the world, or even a few countries of the world, would band together to, to fight a common enemy in this day and age. It's never that humanity is capable of achieving peace. It's always, like, we're going to be killing each other unless we have something to unite to kill. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I, I do believe that if they had something to unite to kill, maybe the U.S. would care to get involved. Because <laughs> we like to blow shit up. But, you know... Do you guys hear choppers? Yeah. <laughs> That's the twang of fortunate sun in the distance. <laughs> you okay, buddy? <laughs> that was good. Thank you. <laughs> uh, what what are what are our takeaways here, guys? What's the bit? What's the big moral of the story for these kind of movies? Hmm. Uh. The, the moral of the story is uh, work with other countries and recognize, you know, when something is for the common good. Like, for instance, distribution of a vaccine um, or other things like that um, that could be helpful to the global population. Um, and don't be fucking weird, you know? When something attacks, just, like, 
recognize that it might be better to help out your fellow man instead of being a fucking weirdo and just looking out for yourself in your weird bunker. Anyway, anybody else got anything else? I don't know. I think that nail was thoroughly hit on the head. Yeah, I I I hammered it. I have strong feelings about that one. I don't. My brain, Justin's brain, he got COVID brain now. We can't. Uh, COVID vaccine brain. COVID vaccine brain. It's it's still COVID. Um, My head feels like a blanket. (laughs) (laughs) Been there. How? Okay. No, I get that. We'll let Justin get that. Oh, I get it. We'll <laughs> let Justin go to bed. Yeah. Um, I think that was good. I got nothing else to say about monster punching movies at the moment. We'll see how I feel in in a couple weeks. Yeah. <laughs> I might be itching for another one. Yeah, once more monster punches. Yeah, once more onto the breach. <laughs> which which works because the thing in Pacific Rim uh, is literally the called breach, the breach. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. My name's Caleb. You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at actual underscore Caleb. My name's Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at Steph Has No Name and on Letterboxd at Ray's Left Boob. My name's Justin. You can find me on most social media at Blame It on Butler. You can find this show on Twitter at Sounds Familiar. And you can find our sister show on Twitter at I Hope You Exist. Thank you, Justin. Good night, everybody. Good night. QCCR. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Be sure to check the episode description for any links we may have included related to this week's episode. You can find us online on Twitter and Instagram at Sounds Familiar. If you'd like to get in contact with us, drop us a line at soundsfamiliar at gmail.com. We'd like to thank our friend Chelsea for our logo. Check her out on Instagram at ChelseaBHDesigns. We'd also like to thank Shane Quick for our theme music. If you feel so inclined, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to tune in every Thursday for new episodes. We'll see you next time on Sounds Familiar.